Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 36. Like we said last time, we have left behind the the oracles, the prophetic speak, and now we have a few chapters of history. It overlaps a good deal with what we see here in Second Kings. And it's just the story kind of in a straight up kind of storytelling way, maybe the way we're used to reading a lot of the Old Testament of just what happened with King Hezekiah against the Assyrian King Sennacherib when he came knocking at the door of Jerusalem and everything that happened. So it's a story that um, maybe you've heard before, if you've, uh, especially if you've looked at Kings recently, but we're going to get just a couple of chapters here describing just everything that happened in kind of more detail in a more kind of historical style instead of the poetry that we've been seeing so much of. And then we're off to a whole different part of the book of Isaiah. So uh, one last time looking at this whole Assyrian crisis. And joining us today, we've got Pastor Scott Adel, pastor of Good Shepherd in Collinsville, Illinois. Good morning, brother. Good to have you with us. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to be here with you. Yeah. So looking at this, uh, it's, it's it's quite a change of pace, right? That you have this uh, this big kind of summary prophecy and then it's just, um, whoa, hey, here's history. And it's very similar to something you've read elsewhere. Yeah, it, it, is a, it is a shift. And for some of you who might not be poetry fans exactly, <laughs> now you can get to the 30, <laughs> 36 and you're like, okay, now something that's straightforward, something that I, that I can read. Uh, yeah, it is right. a shift. But, uh, I mean, what we see there is... I mean, so you ended in chapter 35 yesterday. I assume you talked about the, the last verses. But one of the last verses is, uh, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk in the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Now, I love that last phrase because it's talking about, of course, the new heaven and the new earth, that even those of us who are dumb, we won't be able to take the wrong exit off that highway. We won't be able to mess up. And uh, you, you get to chapter 36, and you see that we're not there yet. Uh, there still is danger. There are still foolish paths that people can take. And one of the things that we'll see in 36 is a direct comparison between King Hezekiah when Isaiah approaches him uh, as opposed to King Ahaz, who was the king before him, whom you read about all the way back in chapter 7, when Isaiah approaches mm-hmm. him. And it's going to be in the same location. It's going to be the same prophet. It's going to be different kings, but uh, almost the same exact problem. And the question this time will be, how, how is Hezekiah going to react? We, we saw how Ahaz reacted in chapter right. 7 and 8, and it, he he chose poorly. But uh, right. the, the the question hanging over 36, 37, 38 is, how is Hezekiah going to react? Right. Yeah, no, that, that's that's well put. Yeah, you do see kind of that that juxtaposition. I mean, we have had a little bit of historical bits here and there, mm-hmm. a little bit of narrative bits, um, just kind of interspersed. We saw like a little bit of that, like around chapter six, and then my goodness, maybe like ten chapters ago, we had like a little bit more, but. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's been kind of sparse on those details, and and because of that, you're right. Um, it, it kind of really sets them up 
in like a, a really sharp relief then that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we haven't been narrating everything step by step by step, you, you get this like, just, Oh, Hey, look, it's like, uh, <laughs> the very next day, it's like his son's out there and what will he do? <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it does, it does kind of tie well into that, that kind of theme in 35 of kind of, uh, well, just the idea, like you were saying of like, which way will you go? Right. Will you go the way of holiness? Right. Or mm-hmm. a different direction? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the chief words or one of the chief ideas that will come up in this land is kind of, who do you trust? Where is your trust going to lie? And, and of course the, uh, Assyrian Rabshakeh is going to say, are you honestly going to trust in Egypt? Are you going to trust in your armies? Are you going to trust in your God? Who are you going to trust? Because he's clearly making the case that you should trust me and the king of Assyria, and we will deliver you. I mean, this this is the, one of the fascinating things hanging over this whole chapter, is this idea of trust and the Assyrian bringing up who are you going to trust. And then the, the second half of the chapter, who is going to deliver you? Who is going to, in essence, save you? And uh, that is the question. When the question is put like that, uh, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 that's what it's going to hinge on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And we've we've seen that, that's actually that's very interesting when you when you put it that way. You know, who's going to save you? Um, we almost had the exact same question asked by Nebuchadnezzar uh, to to Daniel's friends. You know, who is the God who will actually? Absolutely. That's what he put it right. Who is the God who will save you from my hand? Right. Yep. Um, and then they say, well, we don't we don't have to answer you in this. You go ahead and do what you will. And if our God wants to save us, He can. So, yeah, I mean, and I mean uh, in Daniel as well, th- that is the key part of that story. Is yeah. It hinges on their response there. And they admit, God doesn't have to save us from the fire. He's right. still God. Just as when Daniel later comes down to it, the, 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 the high point of the chapter is not him and the lions, and although that, that is the gracious outcome. But, but I mean, kind of the, the crisis point is, are you going to bow down to me, or are you going to bow down to God and ask right. him? and and it all hinges on that. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly. And we, we've seen so much of that through, just throughout all of Isaiah's prophecies and all his oracles. How many oracles have we seen? Don't trust in Egypt, right? How many oracles <laughs> have we seen? You know, put your trust in God. Um, you know, yes. This is all for to bring you to repentance, that you would finally put your trust in the true God of Israel. And so we, we've seen like all of these themes. And so Isaiah has really prepared us to see this sharply. You know, we've got we had we've had thirty five chapters of of sermons basically <laughs> preparing us to read this story the right way. <laughs> Correct, so, and I, I think this is where it speaks to us too. Because, like you said, you you can get kind of bogged down in the oracles against the name, Egypt, Edom, Moab, and for us reading today, we're like, okay, I would never, I would never trust in Egypt, and as you say, poetic, <laughs> and it's. And it's prophecy, and you're like, okay, okay, okay. Well, that, how does this fit in? And then, then right in the middle, you're thrust right into some uh, a, a scenario that's in prose. What is the king going to do? He he has an enemy in front of him that he can see, an army that he can see. What is he going to do? And as we said, right. this, this is the same scenario that was in chapter seven. What are you going to do? And then, of course, you have a preacher walk up to him and say, you should just trust in the Lord. And uh, obviously Ahaz all but laughs him off, like, thank you, sir. 
you may be a good preacher, but yeah, right. I'm a king. I have military generals. Mm-hmm. They will they will address me as to what the proper moves are at this time. Thank you for your word. And yeah, 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 we'll the, yeah right. It's too. exactly it's a, it's, a, it's a very it's a very nice theological sentiment. I appreciate that, right? right you know, yeah. <laughs> if I yeah. find if I need a if I need a you know thank you card or you know something to write down or you know I'll, I'll come back I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very dismissive. Yeah. Absolutely, and you might say that oftentimes preachers are ignored the same way today. Yeah, no, it's true, right? Know. Like, okay, well, it's a nice theological idea, but you know, hey, the grownups are talking now. This is this is business. We we need, you know, we don't really want to hear what you have to say unless you've got like a law degree or a business degree here, right? Theology uh-huh. you isn't are very not useful qualified. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah, da- a dangerous dangerous trap that we can easily fall into today, maybe even more easily. But let's go ahead and get started and look at these first three verses here. As we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening as we read this chapter today? Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here to hear your word as we do so. Please open our eyes and open our ears that we may hear and understand it, and and that it would cause us to trust in you and recognize that you are the one who delivers us and we should look to no one else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Isaiah chapter 36, the first three verses. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. All right, the the scene is set. The stage is ready here. And... um, I mean, you know, so it's like, you know, here comes the big army. We're sending out the the people to speak on the king's behalf. Right? We got two people, and we've seen these names before, actually, right? Eliakim and Shebna. Um, and then also is mentioned Joah here. So uh, just, I guess, kind of some basic questions. What's the significance of, you know, these three being sent out? Like, why, why is there this, this powwow here at the gates? And then also, you know, we mentioned this already. This seems to be pretty much word for word what you have in Second Kings chapter eighteen. So, like, why? I mean, what what's the connection there? Why why is it just kind of seemingly quoted? Is that what's going on? Yeah, uh, I, I think this is Isaiah, as you said earlier, just kind of putting in a realistic context. Like, if if you think that the prophets and the preachers are all just out there doing their rhetorical flourishes, kind of for show, and, and, but that they don't have anything to do with your real life, well, here's Isaiah putting a real-life scenario right in front of us. Uh, th- this actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. Th- this, right. Is, this is history. And uh, Isaiah, obviously, is going to play a part. Now, his part doesn't come in until the next chapter, but this is, this is the preview. This is, this is what leads up to Isaiah, the prophet who's just been talking to us for 35 other chapters. This is, this is the lead-up, and this is, he's saying this is a realistic scenario. Mm-hmm. This actually happened. And, and it's not all just us doing 
preaching off to the side, and if you like it, you can listen to it. If if that trips your fancy, fine. But that 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 doesn't really have anything real to say to a real world scenario. And when right. when Isaiah puts in real world scenarios, he he puts in <laughs> uh, rather uh, dire ones, right? This is this is having to do with the fate of Judah and Jerusalem, God's people, His city and that being in danger. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think this is this seems to be Isaiah, um, you know, like unapologetically quoting or, or, or referencing something like, hey, like this, this is this is just don't if you won't take it from me. Right. Just like look at like the history book. It just lays it out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it is because it is just, um, you know, pretty much this is actually kind of the weird thing about it. It It is pretty much just word for word what you see in Second Kings, starting around mm-hmm. um, verse 13, though it's actually getting a little bit summarized here. Like it skips over, um, you know, like if you go to Second Kings 18, like you get a little bit more detail, right? Hezekiah says, I have done wrong, withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. Um, and mm-hmm. then he required from Hezekiah 300 talents of silver. Like there's all these details that are being left out. So it seems like it's a selective quotation here. Like he's yeah, just kind of like Isaiah himself was there. So he's like, I can cut this. I can trim this. Exa- but, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then the other, the other thing that's striking to me is that um, when, when you actually look at, like the words that that Isaiah has like written here in chapter 36, the very first thing um, that's written is, um, and then this happened, right? Um, Which is like, you're kind of like, hang on, what? (laughs) Because that doesn't, that doesn't really follow. It doesn't really follow Isaiah 35, right? Like it's, it's, it doesn't really make sense to say, you know, um, you know, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And then this happened in the 14th year. King has, it's like, hang on, what? Um, so, so, yeah. it, so, it, so it, it seems to be like very deliberately like Isaiah is saying like, okay, like I'm shifting, I'm going back to this story that you can go and you can look up elsewhere. Just like you were saying, like, this isn't just me doing my sermon preaching stuff. You know, this mm-hmm. I am talking about real life stuff and i'm going to give you the the blow by blow here i'm not going to go and i'm quoting everybody and giving you all the details but just look yeah. at the plain facts it's plain to see what's going on yeah yeah no i, I agree and th- this is this is yeah no you, you said it well so so what do you what do we make of um the presence of Eliakim and Shebna and Joah, because we, we've had we've had at least two of those guys mentioned before so what's the significance of these guys coming out and talking I mean, these are clearly people that the king trusts, and for whatever reason, I, maybe just for security reasons, he himself is not going to go out on the wall while the other army is out there. But these are people he, he trusts and who report to him. And, I mean, recorder, he's obviously one of the guys that writes stuff down. Shebna serves the king, and Hilkiah is is his right-hand man. Uh, these are people that, that King Hezekiah trusts. And, and, and as we said, there there is a... A clear distinction here because it's the same place. It's the conduit of the upper pool and the highway to the washer's field. It's the exact same place where Isaiah met with Ahaz and his uh, uh, advisors 
in, in Chapter 7. And they're overlooking a, a very similar scenario. The armies are on their way. The question is, what are they going to do? Right. Right. So, and, and, um, and, that, and the other thing, um, besides, you know, just kind of, as you were saying, I think it's a good explanation of just kind of what the basic kind of nuts and bolts of the situation is. The other thing that we might think of, we might recall Isaiah chapter 22, because we had actually mentioned Eliakim and Shebna earlier. And if we recall back in Isaiah chapter 22, uh, Shebna was not spoken of in very good terms. He was um, spoken of as a guy who was for the alliance with Egypt, as someone Uh who was taking advantage of the poor, who was really just in it uh, for himself, even as you know, Sennacherib's got the city surrounded. He's just trying to, like, make sure that he's, like, buried in the most extravagant and ornate uh, tomb. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's just, I mean, this guy is is no good. So it's already when we see Eliakim, uh, we're like, okay, this is the good the good one that Isaiah mentions here. And Joe, uh, like, oh, he's probably fine. But when we see Shebna, we're out there, we're like, hang on a second. So we, we, this is kind of already a little bit foreshadowing, I feel like, for us who have the benefit of the previous chapters to say, like, hmm, this, yeah, this confrontation between the two. work all the time with, with, with some who might not be on the same page as mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so it's, I think it's already, and we're going to see this actually, that the, these three, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah, their responses aren't perfect um, to, <laughs> to the Assyrian representative. Um, and, and so that'll just be, it's kind of already hinted at though, like, yeah, you can kind of imagine that there's a weasel among these three and they're uh-huh. going to kind of say some weaselly things here. But let's go ahead and read this. What do they say? Okay. So you've got this, um, this this Rab Shakay guy that like this is like a title, um, like it, it's like some kind of a Syrian high ranking military officer who can speak on behalf of the king. Um, you know, it's 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 um, it's kind of just translated into Hebrew. It just kind of means some kind of like commander of some kind. So this is kind mm-hmm. of just um, this is just a Semitic word here. It's not actually a name. It's a title of some kind. But so here he goes speaking and, and here, 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 here it begins. Like you were saying, who are you going to trust? Verse four. And the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great King, the King of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? And whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Come now. Make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. All right, so there's a, a bunch of bravado here in this guy's voice. I mean, this is just a, a lot of condescension, 
a lot of just, Hey, you've got, you've got nothing. Um, <laughs> everything. Right. And then, I mean, I mean, I feel like the climax of what he says or the, or the, at least the kind of the high point of the bravado, right. It's just like, Hey, look, we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you, we'll loan you some horses if you want to try us out. <laughs> wow. I mean, he knows he has them in a bad spot. He, they've already captured several of the Judean cities. It's basically Jerusalem left. And he's like, oh, if you, if you actually want to fight, and I'm a betting man, uh, I will I will spot you, two thousand horses, and we'll have this battle, and let's see what happens. You're right. This is the height of his arrogance. I will I will spot you two thousand horses. If you even have two thousand riders, they're yours, and we can. Yeah, do I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I mean, and that's just another jab, right? It's like I, I doubt you can even put two thousand riders on them because we've taken all your other cities. I mean, that's what it says at the beginning of the chapter, right? It just, it's just, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's such a scary introduction. It's like in the fourteenth year. Well, this is this is when you know Assyria had come up and just taken all the cities except for Jerusalem, right? It's mm -hmm. just kind of like all their other cities are are taken. This is. You know why Isaiah has been like you know preaching in these very stark terms that you know Judah's been reduced to a wasteland um, in a place of thorns and briar patches. It's like there's and nothing left the except for Jerusalem at this point. Yeah, and earlier he said the water will go rise all the way up to your neck or to your head. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, right. So so this is, this is a bad spot. Um, they know they know about the the plot with Egypt that Shebna was um, instrumental in arranging because they've crushed the Assyrian chariots and riders mm -hmm. um, like like there were nothing here. And so the, the interesting thing here is he's like, OK, look, we, we beat Egypt. So, you know, you've got you don't have any allies. And so now this is the interesting part. Let's say that you're going to say like, oh, we're going to trust in the Lord, right? And that's Yahweh. That's the unique name of the God of Israel, right? Well, mm -hmm. don't tell me, don't tell me that you're going to trust in Yahweh because we've heard about this Hezekiah guy. And this is an interesting yeah. comment. He isn't he the one, this king, who's been taking down all of the worship places and altars for Yahweh? I mean, that's pretty hypocritical. He's the one who's taking down all the worship centers for Yahweh, and now you're going to say that you're going to worship him? You know, like, that doesn't make any sense. So wh why is he Why is he saying that? What, what exactly is he reporting here? I mean, he, he's, he's evil, right? But he, he's, not, he's not a faithful and a true God. But he is actually, I would say, presenting a rather good case. And, and when he gets into his next speech, he's, he's presenting a rather good case to... And it's made clear, or it will be made clear, that he is speaking in Hebrew. So this is not just Shebna, Hilkiah, and Asaph, or Joah, who can understand him, but everyone who is within the earshot can understand him. Right. And he, he is making the case to everyone within earshot, mm -hmm. not just the king. Because obviously the, the way that the siege works is that the city walls itself off. All the doors are closed. The gates are closed. Nothing can go in or out. The easiest way to break a siege is to have someone open a door for you. Mm -hmm. And this is the case that the Rabshak is going to make. Listen, guys, you are all going to die. And he, 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 this is what he'll make in the next, I guess the next time he's speaking, is you are all going to die. And he's trying to, to, uh, to put a wedge between their trust in King Hezekiah and what Hezekiah says to do versus his huge army standing outside the walls. Right. And wouldn't you rather just go with me 
you don't like Hezekiah that much. You say you worship the true God. You say you worship Yahweh. Well, as you, as you pointed out, he's just been taking down Yahweh's altars all over this place. Right. And th- that is a move that may not have played well in Hezekiah's own. His polls probably dropped when he was doing that. Now, he was doing it for a good reason, because the only place they were supposed to worship the Lord was the temple. But allowing Yahweh worship in high places all over the country had clearly gone on under many other kings. And when Hezekiah says, nope, 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 only in Jerusalem, this has to look to several people as uh, a power move and a power grab, and and probably a monetary grab, too. So the only place we can worship and spend money and give offering is the place you happen to be in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's well put. Like that, he his his uh, popularity numbers probably took a dip when he did that. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and uh, I think that's exactly right. I, there's a little bit more that we can say about that, but we got to go into our break here. But everybody, hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 36 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. <laughs> to God for 50 years of His grace and blessings on the ministry of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. You are invited to join us as we continue to receive God's blessings every week through His Word and sacraments. Worship on Sunday is at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 1030. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, 2211 Tenbrook Road, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in, you'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Friday on Issues Etc., it's This Week in Pop Christianity. We'll talk with Chris Rosebro about the Gnostic teachings of church growth leader Ron Carpenter. And we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Vote in advance at facebook.com slash issuesetc or talk back at issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 36. After all those chapters of prophecy and poetry and preaching, now we've got this historical narrative. It's just telling us the story and what a dramatic one it is. You've got this high-ranking Assyrian general commander out there, and he's just shouting this for all to hear. Hey, you want to you go to battle with us? We'll, we'll lend you the horses. Yeah, you want to trust in Egypt? We we wiped the floor with them. You know, this is a very dramatic moment here, and uh, people are possibly losing their nerve um, as they're there on the walls of the city listening to this. And now he's made this kind of power play 
really attacking Hezekiah's uh, popularity. Do you really want to back this king here? And we're joined today by Pastor Scott Adel, pastor of Good Shepherd in Collinsville, Illinois. If you would like to join the conversation, if you've got a question or a comment for me or Pastor Adel, you can send an email to us at kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can call 1-800-730-2727, or you can call in St. Louis, 314-821-0850 if you're listening AM. So, yeah, he says this, and um, as you as you were just saying, brother, it's it's um we know and uh, from isaiah's perspective it was a good thing that hezekiah was taking down these other worship centers i mean that's what's what a high a high place basically just means like a place of worship a worship place so he's been removing all these worship places and it's of course um not as if um it's like bad to worship God in other places. Like you can't say prayers to him outside of the city of Jerusalem or something like that. But we know that these other worship sites outside of Jerusalem had become uh, corrupted and particularly syncretistic. And we've actually found some stuff um, from outside of Jerusalem in ancient Judah, stuff that would say like, you know, this is dedicated to Yahweh and then it would name some foreign goddess um, right mm-hmm. next to his name um, like and his consort, right? And so mm-hmm. we know that popularly Yahweh yeah. was worshipped right alongside other gods and goddesses, even mm-hmm. in Judah. And so when Hezekiah went around and taking all those places down, it was, as Isaiah was um, promoting, to, to really purify the religion and to be focusing and worshiping on God alone. And, and as the first commandment says, you don't worship other gods before me. That is to say, you don't worship other gods alongside me. You don't, you don't mm-hmm. practice syncretism. You don't, it's not me plus any, you worship just mm-hmm. me. I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm a jealous God, right? All the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so that's why Hezekiah is doing, he's being faithful, but to everybody else, it's just like you were saying, I think that's a good suggestion. Everyone else is like, Hey, on a second. He's going to take down all the places to worship Yahweh except for the one in Jerusalem? Isn't that convenient mm-hmm. for him? It sure sounds like it, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that would have been met with, uh, you know, mistrust, resentment, right? I mean, just, just remember, you know, I mean, how did the Germans feel, right, during the Lutheran Reformation, right? I mean, there was a lot of anti-Rome mm-hmm. um, feeling, right? We're sending all this money off to Rome, right? Why can't it stay in Germany? You know, this is... I mean, this is this is a feeling that I mean is is a problem in every age, right? And so, um, certainly there would have been a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> there would have been a lot of people there in Jerusalem who are taking refuge in Jerusalem, who are actually from all over the rest of the country, right? And not too happy yep. about the concentration here. Yeah. So, like I said, the Rab Shack, it, 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 he is using uh, persuasive techniques to drive a wedge between the people and Hezekiah. And I mean, later he's just going to come with a blunt, more blunt inter- instrument. But I, I think the pitch really is going to be: someone just let us in, and you will be well treated, mm-hmm. or you can die a terrible death in a siege. And like I said, in a siege, he just needs to get in one door. He doesn't need to convince everyone. He's just got to convince one guy, and yeah. he 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 he's. Putting it down right now. This this is his case, and 
I, th- I think we, we would say if we were in that same circumstance, it might be convincing. I mean, it's, it's pretty persuasive. But the, but, the, but the word that he keeps going back to and where he's actually going to overstep is when he keeps saying, where now are you going to place your trust? Mm-hmm. Who, in whom do you now trust, is how he puts it in verse 5. And, and he, he mentions that word over and over again. Egypt, Hezekiah, who, where are you going to place your trust? Yahweh? And this is where he's going to overstep his bounds when he speaks next. But well, well, the thing that's interesting about that, right? Because he has one more argument, right? So there's there's three mm-hmm. arguments, right? The first one is like, hey, you're trusting in Egypt and they're gone. Um, we beat them. The second argument is, are oh, you going to trust in Yahweh? Well, Hezekiah is not very good at trusting in Yahweh because he mm-hmm. takes down all of Yahweh's altars. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a popular argument. It doesn't hold up to like, you know, the highest level of theology, but it would have made a lot of sense popularly. And there's mm-hmm. one last argument, right? Um, well, I mean, I guess there's the thing about the, you know, hey, you guys don't even have riders to put on the horses. So there's another Correct. one. But then yeah. the last argument is, it, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, yep. go up against this land and destroy it. And see, now that is maybe, I mean, the most powerful argument in terms of like if Isaiah is there listening, right? Yeah. You know, he's thinking to himself, well, well, yeah, in fact, uh, you know, like Hezekiah is like turning to, to Isaiah. Is that true, Isaiah? Isaiah is like. Well, yeah, because you Absolutely. guys were being terrible. I mean, so yeah, yeah God, no, God did send that, them. <laughs> you're right. That is a great argument, e- even theologically, because it's absolutely true. Yeah. God did send the Assyrians. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so I mean, it, 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 that's that one's that one's got to be you know, maybe the most demoralizing of all of them. I mean, so he's he's really putting together a strong argument here. Like, yeah, because Isaiah has been prophesying all along that the Assyrians were going to come and they were going to destroy Judah because of our sinfulness, because of our idolatry and all the rest of it, you know? And so, like, mm-hmm. wow, okay, we really just need to, you know, that this is our, our just desserts and the right thing to do is just to give up at this point. So um, very, mm-hmm. very difficult situation here. Let's take now, a look at how— people, Oh, I was going to say, if the people had actually been listening to Isaiah in all those chapters before, I mean, I right. think it's chapter 14— where he talked about this exact scenario, where he says, I use Assyria like an axe. It is a tool in my hand. And yet when it gets uh, too proud, I will chuck it away. And this exact chapter is where it's going to get too proud. Yeah, no, exactly right, right. So that's just the thing. It's like, yeah, the Lord did say, go up against this land and destroy it. But th- this is the moment, like you were saying, though, he's, this guy is just representing well the, the hubris that just mm-hmm. out of control arrogance of the Assyrians because yeah, God did send them to destroy Judah, right? To bring the water up to the neck, but not to totally destroy it, that there would be a remnant they have been sent. So that that is that's the difference maker right here. So here is the response well, it's, it's here. Also, I was gonna, it it Go also ahead. I was gonna say true that the true God is the God of the Assyrians as well. Yes. And, and they should recognize this. So the Rabshak, Nebuchadnezzar, they should recognize this, too, that God is the one who has given them victory over all their enemies. However, he's just going to throw all this away in, the, in his next argument when he says, how is your God different than all the other gods? Right, and right. And that's where yep. he's going to so overstep. Yep. So here, here, here we go, then. Here's, here's the next 
the next link in this chain here, we can probably, yeah, we go through verse 20 here really to get the, the full uh, thrust of it. So here's verse 11. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rab uh, Shakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rab Shakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me. And come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of you his own fig tree. And each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So, I mean, there, there, there it is, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, at, at first he, he was going, you know, pretty... Uh, I mean, in, in some ways, you'd almost say he's just speaking rightly, like, hey, we caught you guys trusting in Egypt. You know, you're outnumbered, you're outgunned, right? Um, you know, like, hey, it's 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 Yahweh who sent us here, right? And like, in a lot of ways, he's he's like, yeah, he's just kind of being accurate here. But but now is, here's this last thing, right, where he's saying, like, hey, your God's no different from all the others. We crushed the gods of Moab, the gods of Edom, the gods of Syria, the gods of Ephraim, we've just tossed them all aside. They're nothing compared to us. Right. And so, and there's, there's the hubris, right? Like when we crush you, you're going to see that Yahweh, it's just another little petty, like, you know, um, parochial God of one of these little corners of this backwater territory. He can't stop us. Yep. Yep. And I, I think if you were, uh, from Jerusalem or if you were from Judah, that 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 one that's tagged on at the end of verse 19 has to really make you sit and think have they delivered samaria out of my hand and you have to sit back and think well wait a second wasn't yahweh the god of samaria and mm. did he deliver them out of the assyrians hands mm. huh yeah no yeah. no he didn't <laughs> right yeah no and uh, I mean, if you if you're reading Amos and Micah and all those other guys, they're saying, no, the Lord said specifically, if they did not repent, He's going to turn them over to their enemies. He's going to turn them over to their false gods. And so, I mean, theologically, there's an answer. But I mean, if you if you're just listening, if you maybe don't attend church all that often, but you know that Yahweh is the true God, and you also knew that Yahweh was the God of Israel. When he lists all these other places, and you're like, I've never even heard of Arpad or Sephiroth. <laughs> I don't. 
Samaria, I know, and you're right, they did have the same God, and no, he didn't deliver. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the same way that he, he, he hammers on the word trust, 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 and whom do you trust in his first uh, main paragraph, here it's deliver, deliver, deliver. Who is going to deliver? Don't let Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Don't let him say that to you, because you know that all of these other lands had gods, and your God is just like them. Yeah. yeah no, no other God delivered them. Yeah, the, the, the situation just looks hopeless, right? And, and, that's, and that's what we were talking about last time in, in chapter 35, that, I mean, there's, there's these prophecies of God delivering out of hopeless situations. I mean, Isaiah has cast this event, this moment here in the 14th year of Hezekiah as the second Passover event. You know, this is, this is the moment where Moses and the Israelites are caught between the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And it looks like there is no way out. They are mm-hmm. goners. There's nothing, right? I mean, this is, this is it. This is the hopeless situation. And, and it's, um, and it's one, I think that we can relate to where it's just, you know, um, the, the, the effect it, it's persuasive, right? It's, it's kind of, um, and I, I think the word that you, we, we use for it is like induction. It's like the scientific method here. It's like, well, <laughs> it, it's just everyone's failed so far. So what do we expect to happen next? Right. I mean, like, really, Correct. do we do we really are we really going to trust in this God when it seems like, you know, every other God has just proven to be, you know, superstition and, and fables and made up stories and did Jesus really raise from you know, rise from the dead? Every other person who said anything, they're still dead. You know, uh-huh. they, they haven't gone anywhere. Do I really expect that the resurrection is going to happen? I mean, I mean, this is this is the weight of experience that that drowns out hope, right? Yeah, yeah. And this this is why I said that it's it's a it is a rather nice juxtaposition to what what the chapters that have come before, which as you said. Sounds like preaching and poetry, and then you get a real-life scenario here, which is rather dire, and the question is, who are you going to trust? Who do, you, who do you actually believe will deliver you? Is it, is it your own hands? Is it your political craft? Because Egypt just got cut off. Who, who else are you going to turn to? I mean, the other thing going on with this chapter is, Hezekiah had already agreed to pay tribute to Assyria, and they'd, they'd agreed on those terms. And then Assyria says, actually, we want more anyway. Right. right. <laughs> and then comes down and takes uh, and surrounds them. And so it's like all of your political maneuvers, maneuvers are gone. Your military options are laughable, and the other side is laughing at them. So who are you going to trust? On, on the other hand, he makes a case. Listen, if you go with me, life's going to be great. You'll eat of your own vine. You'll have your own fig tree. You'll have your own cistern, your own home. I will take you away to a land, a land like your own land, a land with grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Right? It's almost word for word, a land of milk and honey. Right? Yeah. I, I will take you there. If you trust in me, I will deliver that to you or I'll deliver you to that. Right. Or are you going to trust in Hezekiah and Yahweh, when, I mean, here we are, we're at your gates. Yeah. How, what's he going to do? Yeah, no, I mean, it is, um, the, the the promise here, right, you know, um, 
I mean, you know, here is the king of Assyria promising to be gracious, right? You know, you'll mm-hmm. each eat of your own vine and have your own fig tree. And I mean, that, that I'm actually, I'm failing to think of it, but I'm pretty sure that there is a, there is an Old Testament prophecy of that idea. Like each would eat of his own fig tree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember, I can't remember where that would be because I remember that um, in that, in that scene where uh, our Lord finds Nathaniel, um, and and he says, you know, before I found you, you were under the fig tree. That uh-huh. there's there's a possibly an allusion to that. I, I'll have to I'll have to think about like, yes. and where where that where that was. But I mean, just the basic idea, though, it's just it's kind of that that old style of like you know a chicken in every pot here, right? This is just kind of the American dream, or in, in this case, the Judean dream, right? Everybody <laughs> has his own vine and his own fig tree and his own cistern, right? It's like everybody is self-sufficient you got what you need you know you're living the good life right and he's saying here yeah. you know i'll take you to a land um it's just like your own land kind of like you know the way your land used to be <laughs> before before we rolled up and, and but, uh, i mean this is this is also just the lie of satan if, if 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 you don't trust in the lord if you if you do what we tell you to do your life will be great yeah you will be happy you will be satisfied Right. And it, it will look kind of like it does now, except better. Whatever, whatever you imagine better to be, just place your trust over here. I mean, this is this is uh, this is also what Satan tries to tempt Jesus with. I will give you all the kingdoms and all their glory. Right. I will yeah. get everything great about the world. I'll just hand it over to you if you worship, if you bow down to me. Right. And, and obviously, we know. Hopefully, we know that Satan is a liar. And that the king of Assyria and the Rabshag are also liars in this sense. I mean, if you ask any of the Sumerians who are already in exile right now, <laughs> exactly. if they loved it, they would probably say, no, it's a lot like slavery, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, no, no, no. See, it's, and that is that is fascinating. Right. Because I think this is exactly like that, because you got to remember what what were the people of Israel saying when they were caught at the Red Sea between, you know, the Absolutely. water and the army? They were like, man, you know, back in Egypt, it wasn't so bad. You know, we had like fish and vegetables and, and you know, and like, why can't we just go Garlic back and do and the leeks? Ex- ex- oh, exactly. Right. And so the here they are romanticizing their own slavery. But yeah. like, it's just like you said. If you were to go and take a poll of the Sumerians, hey, like, hey, you guys, some of you got sent off to that beautiful, wondrous place called Assyria. How is it working out for you? <laughs> they made they, you this deal too. How do you like it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's it's, it's it hasn't lived up to all the hype. It it's not uh-huh, as good the as sure looked really nice. Exactly. However, yeah, yeah. Then we got there, you know. But you know, one <laughs> star, one, one, one star. <laughs> one star on Amazon, on, on one star on Yelp. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. No, I mean, like, so you know, here it is. Here's here's the lie. Here's the the illusion, right? But it sounds really good when you're in this desperate situation. When the alternative of um of eating, you know, bread and and drinking wine is uh you know dung and urine. I mean, and that's uh, wow. That's that's a strong language. But that's you know he, he's uh he's saying that because th- this is that siege reality, right? It's like. They yep. don't need. They don't even need to actually like lift a sword or a bow against them. All they need to do is outlast Jerusalem. We'll just, All they we'll need just to do stay is stay right here, and yep. we'll have we'll, these conversations every day. <laughs> yeah, and, and eventually, right. eventually, you will have no food yep. and no water left. I mean, and you say it's graphic. Yeah, but he, 
the, the graphicness is exactly what makes it more persuasive because everyone knows. Actually, I've heard that that's what a siege is like. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of what it comes down to in the end is you're only going to last as long as you have food and water. Yep. And the Assyrians are all around us, and they have rivers and ponds and lakes yep. and our fields and our cattle. They're not going to run out of food and water. Right. We right, sure yeah, could. Th- yeah, that's right. They, they, they've gone and they've taken all of Judah. So all the stuff that we used to have is theirs now. This doesn't look good at all all you know like just nope. there, there seems to be no way out of this there's no ally there's no physical way that they're going to outlast them when they're on the other side of the wall it's just it, it just seems to be a, it seems to be a completely hopeless situation and mm-hmm. it's and so that way it is very much like the passover where it's just yep. like well you can't we're not we're not going to swim across this we don't have a boat like there's there's no there's no one that's going to come save us i mean it seems actually irrational to proceed you yeah. know what 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 logical outcome is there besides we all die yep and and this is this is why i think he specifically said i'm not just saying it to you guys i'm saying it to every soldier on that wall i'm saying it to everyone within earshot if any of you don't want to die in a siege come meet me at the gate and we will we will talk i i will give you i'll give you the brochure whoever comes to me first i will give you the 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 place that's pictured on the brochure i'll give you that one right anyone else who cares right which which is why you can you can you can appreciate that i mean there is there is some I mean, it, you can sympathize with Eliakim and Shebna um, and Joah saying, like, hey, please stop speaking Hebrew. <laughs> like, we can speak Aramaic. It also shows Aramaic. the preparation, though. Let's, it also shows the preparation of the Rabshakeh and, and oh, that no, he's actually true. probably very good at his job. He yeah. took the time to learn Hebrew. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Aramaic and Hebrew are close, so it, right. it might not have taken. But I, I wonder if he did it also in Hamas and Arpad and Sepharvayim. Yeah. He learned their language just so he could make this appeal to them. Yeah. yeah and maybe it worked in some right. of those yeah. places. Yeah. Yeah, but you can you can really especially imagine that like Shebna's there being like, Hey, don't don't say that. <laughs> let's let's make a deal you and me. Don't don't uh you know, blow this whole thing, right? You can you can kind yeah, of he's imagine. like, Why would I do you guys any favors? Oh yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, that that's right. So I mean, so 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 there it is. There it is. The the gauntlet has been thrown down. And so, what's the response here? Just, I just want to read these last uh, couple of verses here. But they were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, "Do not answer him." Then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeim. So it's just it's just mourning, you know. It's just their clothes are torn because it's just we're 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 doomed. And so isn't yep. isn't that? I mean, it, it's of course. I I don't think any of us have been in a siege situation, but you know, as I was kind I of alluding that. to before, I mean, like the hope of faith and faith in the true God means trusting in Him when things seem totally hopeless. And yep. when you talk about Passover events, there was a Passover. Um, you know, from Egypt, there was a Passover here because what's going to happen, the angel of the Lord's going to come and it seems like by some kind of disaster or disease, 
a ton of Assyrians are going to die and the siege is going to break. It seemed like it, it, it was going to be a total miracle that it happened. No one could have seen it coming. Um, there was a Passover from the Babylonian exile. There was a Passover at the cross because when our Lord Jesus is there nailed to a cross, when he's there buried in a tomb, it seems like there is no way out. But our God is the God who works the impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And th- this is where, as we were t- saying earlier, this is where the Rab for, for all for all that he speaks truth, uh, th- this is where he oversteps. Is uh, has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the king of Assyria? Right? Wh- who among all of these gods has delivered their lands that the Lord, that Yahweh, should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? That, right. that he, he says clearly, your God is just like all of the other gods, and our army is our army. <laughs> right. And uh, good luck. Yeah. Well, no, see, yeah, and that's and that's the thing. I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember if it was back in um, chapter, I think it was like around chapter 33, it was just a few chapters ago, but it was that idea of, you know, the evil, they do not regard the works of the Lord. They don't re- regard what he has done because th- this is the thing. You got to remember what's unique about our God. He's the God that made heaven and earth, guys. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and this is the fundamental hope, right? It's that mm-hmm. if our God is the one who made everything, then he can remake anything and he can restore anything. And like, mm-hmm. no matter how scary it gets or how hopeless it looks, it's never hopeless when you have the creator on your side because the creator can work resurrection. Um, just like, uh, well, I was yeah, going to say. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the point, but it's also the point where some people are like, wait, to be resurrected, I would have to die first, right? <laughs> well, that's right. No, and, and yes, that, that is, yes, that that is, is the, the way claim. of the cross. That is, <laughs> that is the hard part. But oh, with that, we are all out of time. But, uh, brother, thank you so much. It was very yeah. nice going through this, this story section here, and I appreciate the way you're helping just draw it out and making it real for us today. Yeah, good to be with you. All right, everybody. That was Pastor Scott Adel, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville in Illinois. Thanks for joining us this week. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, everyone, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.